Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds today. I'm so excited to talk with you and learn from you. Could you please start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure, thank you so much for having me. My name is Melissa Creary and I am an assistant professor in the health management and policy department in the School of Public Health here at University of Michigan. I am an interdisciplinary social scientist who has worked with the sickle cell community as a scientist, policymaker, and public health researcher for over 20 years. And as of September 1st, I'm also associate director for anti-racism for a new um, collaborative quality improvement initiative at Michigan Medicine called MSHIELD. Um, It's supported by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan and stands for Michigan Social Health Innovations to Eliminate Disparities. And this initiative um, will attempt anyway to engage provider organizations around the state and seek to identify and promote processes that lead to improved and more equitable healthcare outcomes. Thank you so much. And can you tell us about the areas in which your research focuses? Yeah, my primary research interests include how science, culture, and policy intersect, particularly around ethical, legal, and social concerns. I'm really interested in the simultaneous constructions of race and science via the development of policy and what the bioethical implications are of those policies. And as I organize my research, I think about it with two main um, areas. And those areas are race, racism, and discrimination, and then equity, belonging, and justice. And I tend to use sickle cell disease in many cases as a lens to help better understand these two themes. I am wholly invested in how we increase the quality of life of people living with sickle cell disease. And that's really been the thread Um, throughout the course of my um, professional and academic career um, is this focus on sickle cell disease. I'm I'm also really interested in the ways that we as public health researchers can help turn institutions more anti-racist. And what I mean by that is how do we assist higher education institutions or public health institutions or pharmaceutical private companies um, in acknowledging the destructive power of racism in society? And then how do we attempt to ameliorate their own organizational racism um, to help basically at the end of the day, get to more um, health equity for those that have some sort of contact with these organizations? Such immensely interesting and important areas to focus in. Can I ask what led you to this research area? Certainly. I actually was diagnosed with sickle cell disease when I was um, three years old. And, um, you know, the personal is political, the political is personal. And um, when I was uh, diagnosed, you know, my parents uh, didn't have a whole lot of information. Um, there was a local sickle cell chapter and I got tested there um, and we found out. And, um, and I just remember really being interested in science as a child. And I also remember being really sick as a child. And I remember when I was home, you know, reading because I was out of school, I would just really connect with science. Um, and as I got older, um, I began to really connect the dots between my interest in science 
and what would later become public health with how the biology of this disease worked. And sickle cell disease is kind of this um, classic case that gets talked about in school books when it comes about like Mendelian genetics. And so it was really exciting to read about the biology of sickle cell in my biology book, but then also knowing that there was like all this societal stuff swirling around it that was never covered in the classroom or covered in the book. So I was equally, I think, interested in all of the societal swirlings of sickle cell disease. And so um, with that interest, I think I was uh, started with an initially very scientific kind of framing around sickle cell disease, and then that expanded into a more public health realm, and then that expanded even more into a more like, how do we think about science and society um, interacting together when it comes to sickle cell, which is what led me um, to my MPH degree, which then led me to my almost 10-year career at the CDC, which then led me to Brazil to do my research dissertation on the development of policy for disease like sickle cell um, in Brazil and this place that really grapples with what um, blackness and racial identity is and what that means to be assigned blackness um, by having this disease. And so all these different um, ways that I was interacting with the disease and all the ways I was getting these experiences uh, via the academy as well as the professional, um, all of it kind of lent itself to this larger kind of um, way to think about um, how, how race gets constructed and how science gets constructed and how the interplay of the two really do have a, an important impact on policy. And then all of that let it, lent itself to me eventually becoming a policy professor. Wow, what a journey. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And with your, as you, you know, told us about your experiences, and I want to talk about uh, an article recently in which your experience and research was featured in Scientific American, and the article was titled, We Need to Ground Truth Assumptions About Gene Therapy. Can you share a little bit about this work, and could you explain to us the concept of bounded justice? Sure. I love talking about bounded justice. So the Scientific American article um, was a really interesting article that used both my lived experience with sickle cell disease and my research as one of the anchors to help readers understand the really complicated ways um, we in the scientific community and the general patient community might think about gene therapy. And there's this great tension between hope and the reality once you get gene therapy or as you're planning for gene therapy and you're thinking about gene therapy. And in between, you know, the hope and the reality, there are just a lot of questions and uncertainties in between. Um, and for sickle cell disease, there is a lot of interest in providing a cure for what is considered a minoritized and mar marginalized community. Um, there has been historical neglect, including a historical lack of therapeutic interventions, despite being the first genetic disorder um, that was discovered. And this is, you know, just the continuing saga of the pervasive inequity for this population. And this constant quest for equity for the sickle cell pop is something that I use as an example to help explain a concept I developed called bounded justice. Um, and bounded justice suggests that even when we have the best intentions and are intentionally creating policies, programs, and technologies to increase health equity and attend to historical indignities, 
that these technologies really are limited in their reach in delivering justice due to longstanding generational ways that these black bodies have embodied inequality and inequity. So in the case of sickle cell, any justice achieved by targeting new gene therapies to marginalized populations will inevitably be limited by the very inequities that cause those groups to be marginalized in the first place. So you may be assisting with the cure, but it's still a thin slice of justice considering the general neglect from society that this population has received. And, and then you add on top of that, I think my personal experience and my own kind of questionings around whether or not I I've, you know, would contemplate um, genetic therapy, um, gene therapy, that kind of wove itself into the piece as well as it is something that I have considered given the complications of my own um, disease status. This conversation is so timely as September is recognized as Sickle Cell Awareness Month. Could you talk a bit about the importance of focusing attention on the need for research and treatment of sickle cell disease? Certainly. Uh, sickle cell, when compared to other disease states um, that affect non-Blacks, um, still comparatively lack in funding, research, um, in infrastructure, and all of those things lead to a lack in the advancement of care and treatment. Um, the public health burden, lack of understanding, and lack of resources is significant for this population. There are health resource disparities, health care disparities, and health outcome disparities. And in 2022, when we are still reeling from what 2020 unearthed, right, in terms of a pandemic within a pandemic, um, sickle cell serves as a really prime example of how people are differentially invested in and treated, even, even though biologically this is not a racialized disease. Disease. And because it's got this association with Blackness, you know, that differential investment and treatment likely reveals racism as the root cause of disparity. So it's important um, to think about um, the ways in which racism disrupts all of the things that could uh, come to the sickle cell community um, and the ways in which racism disrupts uh, the quality of life for people living with sickle cell disease. And so during this month of September, um, what I would love is for people to really think about um, what they can do to learn more about sickle cell disease, what they can do to support the research and funding about sickle cell disease, what they can do to support the people they know in their lives that are living with sickle cell disease. Um, beyond September, I want them to, to think about sickle cell as well and what it represents um, to this nation and beyond in terms of our quest for uh, decreasing um, health disparities um, and health writ large. Are there any resources that you'd like to share regarding sickle cell disease where our audience can learn more from or ways that they can support research? Yeah, um, there is a large impetus of um, an energy going towards sickle cell disease right now, which is really heartening. And so uh, if anyone is listening that has, uh, you know, the power to influence policy and funding, then um, use all of that power for good. Um, for folks who might not know, you know, what they could do to help you know, research and health outcomes and these much larger problems. I think th the very baseline, you can begin to learn more. So even if you think you know a little 
bit about sickle cell, you can begin to learn more. Um, there are two websites that I like to send people to um, in order to learn more, and that is the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, and you can reach them at sicklecelldisease.org. And then they can also go to the CDC and search in their key terms for sickle cell disease. I'm really proud of the work that I did at the entry of my public health career where I, you know, I helped um, create a national sickle cell program for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, and uh, the legacy of that program still exists. And so the federal funding that comes from the CDC and trickles down into this infrastructure that I talked about earlier is really, really very important. Um, so please go to the CDC to look for more information about sickle cell and some of the public health funding that um, happens there, as well as SCDAA to get um, more of a larger kind of picture of what is happening with this population. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing those. And while we have a few more minutes of your time, I wanted to ask if you can expand on a few key messages from an article in Health Affairs that you co-authored with colleagues from U of M. It was titled, Structural Racism is Not an Exemption from Accountability. Thank you. Um, this article came out in 2021, I believe, and it was at the height of a lot of attention towards institutions that really were challenged with how to address the existence of racism, much less structural racism. Um, and structural racism has come to the fore as being really important beyond just discriminatory acts of an individual, but how do institutions, systems, structures actually replicate, reproduce racism um, within the society. And so this piece, which was led by my PhD student, um, Paige Nong, really was about um, how we think about interpersonal racism and how individuals are part of this larger system. Um, and so, you know, even down to the title, structural racism is not an exemption from accountability. What we're trying to kind of make clear here is that in the excitement or the acknowledgement of structural racism, we must not forget that individuals are actually um, the folks uh, that create the power that um, attaches itself to structural racism. So there's individual accountability within the auspices of the um, practices that occur um, with syst within systemic racism, um, if that makes sense. So we just wanted we just wanted to write something that wanted to say that you don't get to um, pass the buck, that you don't get to, when you're talking about structural racism, say that this is an institutional thing without acknowledging that individuals make up institutions. Thank you so much. And as we come to a close, I like to ask each expert who joins us on Michigan Minds for one takeaway. So what is one thing that you hope listeners remember from all of this information that you've shared with us today? I think I want individuals to um, understand that when it comes to sickle cell disease that, you know, I, I think I said earlier that there's a lot of interest around sickle cell disease research and as research bodies, researched bodies, um, folks really um, want to address this history of neglect and folks really are very interested in um, the research questions that might be able to be answered by studying this population. Um, and it's hard for me as a person living with sickle cell and me as someone who studies 
justice and health equity, um, to not recognize and speak on the tensions that exist between the value of these bodies when it comes to research and the undervalue of the same exact bodies when it comes to um, how they are seen as they walk through their healthcare journey. And so as again, someone living with sickle cell disease who understands um, exactly what it means to be questioned about their pain or to um, you know, have to deal with one encounter after the other with, um, with a hostile healthcare system. It's hard to reconcile this um, attempt to ameliorate the neglect that has been occurring with this population around research without addressing the fact that we need that um, attention um, to be put towards the ways in which the quality of healthcare is provided for um, the same exact population. So to think about um, those living with sickle cell um, outside of the realm of, of research and to really think about the ways in which um, society has really put forth a position in which folks living with sickle cell disease have embodied so much inequality um, and for at least those in the healthcare world to understand that um, as they're walking through the healthcare system, that that's something really to, to think about um, and to show them the value to begin to prioritize that they need to earn the trust of people living with sickle cell um, and to understand why there's this um, foundation of mistrust, not just with people living with sickle cell disease, I would think with communities of color and the healthcare system in general. Um, so that was uh, wordy, but <laughs> one of the things that I guess I hope listeners will, will take from this conversation is just that uh, to think about this person living with sickle cell as a whole person um, as they're trying to like engage in the world, living with this, this disease in a Black body in the United States, um, intersecting with the healthcare system and all the other systems that they might have to engage with. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share? I think that what I would like to share um, is, is that um, I don't take for granted um, the ability to do this kind of work and to be in this kind of space as a person um, living with sickle cell disease. Um, the older I've gotten, the more complicated my disease has gotten, and I have become a lot more transparent and vocal about the ways in which uh, I, I am living through this disease while also living these other aspects of my life. Um, and I think that that transparency has allowed for my students um, to become better learners and for my research to become better, for my questions to become better. Um, and so I, I appreciate being um, interviewed. I'm interviewed, I've been interviewed you know, several times, but the more I'm interviewed and the older I am and the more I've, I have had experience while living with this disease, the more transparent I am about the ways in which this disease has impacted my life. And I'm really grateful for um, the space. I'm grateful to be here given um, how complicated and serious this disease is and 
And, and then on top of that, I'm grateful to be able to get to do the kinds of things um, that I'm able to do via the work that University of Michigan helps me, um, you know, uh, produce as, as part of my own scholarship and research and the ways in which I engage with students and other folks in this infrastructure and beyond. So I just, I think I want to share that that sickle cell is just one of the many parts of who I am, um, but that that is complicated as it is, um, and that you may read about how um, complicated it is, again, to the point I was making earlier, that like it's just a small part of a much larger um, story. Um, and, and I'm lucky that I get to be able to, to tell that story in a lot of different ways to a lot of different people. Dr. Curry, thank you so much for your time today. We have learned so much from you, and I'm really looking forward to sharing your experience, your narrative, your research, your expertise with our Michigan Minds audience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.